the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. A delight to bring back uh, our good friend George Kaloff. He is uh, the president of Data Orbital, managing partner of the Resolute Group, one of the uh, finest political consultants in the country. Blessed to have him here. And we usually have him on about once a week. And uh, it's been a it's been a while, George. It must be a busy season. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's my the blame is mine or yours or both of ours. But it's good to have you back, sir. Always good to be on, Seth. Always good to be on. Thanks. You know, it's a funny thing. Sometimes uh, this time of year can be very quiet in the news and in politics. It's anything but. And I don't know what the most important political story is right now. I suppose it's Iowa and polling. I suppose it's the Democrats and what to do with regard to Israel. But I'm not sure. And it might be yet something else entirely, perhaps impeachment uh, or something entirely yet. What do you see as the most important political story right now, the most important thing in politics going on right now? Yeah, I I think in in all candidness, and I think your lead up to this highlights it, but I even could have, it, it's almost all the above. And here's what I mean by that. Depending on your vantage point, depending on the thing that is your top priority, depending on if you're a Republican or Democrat, depending on if your focus is Washington, D.C. or the states, all of that's important. I was important in its own regard because obviously that tees up the presidential primary cycle, which I think we both agree is more or less done on both on both sides. But nonetheless, it's important because there is there's some noise being made by Nikki Haley, more in New Hampshire. DeSantis is doubling down on Iowa. So, you know, that has to see itself through. Obviously, the dynamic with Israel and Palestine is a big deal. It's a big deal amongst Democrats. There's very clear lines of division opening up between Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and other members of the of the party in terms of what they think. Obviously, impeachment's a big deal. And it's just notable in general that the House of Representatives now has a three uh, seat Republican majority because there's been a lot of departures on both sides of the aisle, but namely recently with Kevin McCarthy and a number of other Republicans that are either stepping down and or not seeking reelection. Right. The list goes on and on. And we haven't even gotten to Arizona and what's happening here in, in the state of affairs. And so there's really a lot that's at play. There's a lot that's on the horizon. And it, and it is anything but and I'm even feeling it personally and professionally. The month of December has not been slow in any way. It's actually been one of the busiest starts of December that I've ever had. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's partly for this reason. There's so much at play. There's so much that's being watched. And there's so much that's affecting day-to-day political life. And then yet, life is going on. The majority of people are teeing up for, for Christmas or in the middle of Hanukkah. And, and so there's normal life that's happening as well, right? So I always like to remind ourselves that you and I and a number of us are in a bubble, yeah. <laughs> that all of these things may be more important to us than it is maybe to the average American. But nonetheless, I do think there's a lot that's permeating the news recently. Let's start with Iowa for a moment, George, because there's a lot of questions about Iowa. Just as I understand it, looking at the aggregations of polls, it's Trump ahead by 30 next to DeSantis at about 19, Haley at about 16, and then the rest are in far lower uh, single digits. 
uh, feel free, obviously, to correct me whenever I, I, I get something wrong. First thing uh, I, I am told is, and I'm told this every four years, is that Iowa's really hard to poll because of the caucuses. Mm-hmm. How reliable are these polls? So the the polls that I trust is is from um, a woman last name Seltzer in in Iowa. She generally has reliable polling, but even then, it is very difficult because you you are correct. So for for folks that don't know, and just a very quick refresher, a caucus structure means that an individual has to actually show up in an evening on election night and go to a room in their local area and then go and caucus with. And, and voice support for that candidate. And it's a process that continues because then as people drop out, then they go to other and they have to sort of not like rank order their choices, but it's a very different than just dropping off your ballot. And mm-hmm. so only diehard, the most diehard of diehard supporters do that. And so traditionally, polling has gotten it wrong in Iowa. That was actually a, a place of a, a tremendous surprise in the positive in 2016, originally for Donald Trump when he won the presidency because he was not slated to do as well as he did. And then he, he, he won. But we also know from recent history, the individual who won the last couple Iowa caucuses never actually ended up going on to be the nominee. Not interestingly usually, enough, right. I think, not usually, right. I think in this scenario, it's a little bit differently, but I was a very white state. It's a very evangelical state. And so evangelical Christians have an outsized influence in the state of Iowa. Very different by the way, than what's playing out in New Hampshire, where Chris Christie is, you know, a top contender, which I think most people agree that he doesn't stand a chance to win the nomination, but he's taking votes very clearly away from from Nikki Haley and from uh, and from others that are opposing um, President Trump. And so uh, Iowa is very important. The polling that you highlighted is accurate. I still believe fairly strongly that President Trump is going to win Iowa, um, maybe not by as wide of a margin. I think he wins Iowa. And I'm not sure that that has any effect on New Hampshire or otherwise. And frankly, we're all focused on these first two states, which allocate a very small percentage of the delegation. But we know delegates, but we know it's very important from a, a momentum perspective. But in all of the subsequent states, almost no campaign is an infrastructure except for the Donald Trump campaign. Um, okay. uh, that's another very key thing. Yeah, say remember. that again. Do that again. Almost no campaign. What but infrastructure? So we spend a lot of time, political pundits, the we political pundits spend a lot of time talking about Iowa, the first state, New Hampshire, the second state, South Carolina, the third state, a little bit Nevada. So those are the first four. Yeah. Every state beyond that, which awards the majority of delegates, mm-hmm. no one has campaign staff. No one's been talking about them. And all of the polling in those states, even though they're very early, all show very strong um, uh, work, uh, very strong numbers for Donald Trump, because almost no one has a presence in those states. Oh, oh, so oh, oh I see. The presence is yes. absent in everywhere but Iowa. Exactly. I, I'm with you. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I'm with For you. almost everyone else whose name is not Donald Trump. Yes. And and yeah. and, and maybe Chris Christie in New Hampshire? Maybe a little bit of an Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Setting aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. After so, Iowa and New Hampshire, where yeah. there are all, a lot of campaigns are focusing a lot of effort, it just depends okay. on who's focusing on what state. But I beyond those two... The campaign infrastructure is non-existent because no one has the money to spend on advertisement or have campaign staff on the ground in now, the majority of states that are not Iowa and New Hampshire. Now, in Iowa, if for whatever reason it's important to show a strong second place showing or if a miracle happens, DeSantis putting so much effort and energy in there, the truth is, at least by the polling I'm seeing, is, yeah, he's in second place but not by much after uh, before Nikki Haley, not by more or two or three points. Exactly. That's got to be cause for sweat for him. 100%. 100%. And it gets even worse in in uh, New Hampshire. Yes, now, of course. Now, I will say, if, if, if we feel 
if we feel like we talked about that polling in Iowa is notoriously difficult, beyond predicting who's the number one, yeah. it definitely is difficult to predict the difference between number two, three, and four. And so that's where I think there's likely, my gut would say, likely an underrepresentation of DeSantis' support, because I would assume his supporters in the state of Iowa, yeah. and this is unique right. to Iowa, by the way, this is not commentary on New Hampshire, right. I would think his support is more fervent than Nikki Haley's support, um, because he's gotten a lot more local um, endorsements like the popular governor, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, like the head of the most prominent evangelical Christian organization, the family leader in, Nick Van, uh, in uh, Bob Vanderplot. And so a lot of that support is going in DeSantis's direction. And while Nikki Haley is holding her own, I don't think her support's as deep and wide. In Iowa, she's been primarily focused on New Hampshire, where she is in a very strong position. I think she in second place. I think in clear second place, if I'm not mistaken, in New Hampshire yes. at this point. Yes. I think she has far superseded, actually, uh, DeSantis by more than two or three points, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, which that at, is correct. And she just yeah. scored the endorsement of the very popular Republican governor there, Sununo, who's, a, who's yeah. a household name, and his yeah. family's been in, you know, involved in politics for a long time, and Chris Sununo. Yeah, uh, the Sununu the Sununu family is the dad still alive? By the way, or did he pass, John? I don't I know. I thought might, he was alive. He I haven't seen him at an event. I saw him like five, six years ago, but I'm not. Uh, not I miss sure. him on TV. He was always fun for for a television interview and a soundbite. Um, anyway, um, George, so how real is this Nikki Haley thing? Depending on who I talk to, I get two totally different stories. One is she's surging. One is don't believe it. So the problem is she, she likely is surging, and she just coalesced the support of Americans for Prosperity, which means there's a lot of money that's also coming to her aid. But the commentary that I think was the most appropriate was that everyone's fighting for second place. She's surging into second. She's not surging anywhere near Donald Trump, no, right? And course, no one's right. gotten anywhere near Donald Trump since the polling pre-Governor DeSantis getting in, which was earlier this year. And so that's the, the, the interesting thing is I think both answers could be true. She may be surging, but I don't think it's real because— I don't think there's enough wherewithal beyond the first couple states, nor enough momentum, nor it seems enough traction with the proponents of Republicans, which are base Republicans, for support for Nikki Haley. Because I think if you're a DeSantis supporter, let's just tease this out for a moment. Let me take a break and tease it out because I have more questions on DeSantis. Can I take a quick commercial break and pick up on that with you when we come right back? Thank you. George Kaloff is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. George Kaloff from Data Orbital and the Resolute Group is my guest. Catching up on a lot here, uh, so thank you, George. Um, let's talk about DeSantis a little bit and his fortunes and failures. Um, fortunes to keep going. What does he have to do in Iowa to stay alive? I think if he does not come in a strong second place or win— I'm not sure what the path forward there is. Mm -hmm. And by strong second place, that means uh, close to Trump or that means far and away from Haley? No, no, close to Trump. I don't. I mean, if if it's a if he's far and away ahead of Nikki Haley, but he's still 25 points away from the first place finisher, Donald Trump. Again, I still don't know what the path is, because then he goes into New Hampshire where he's going to have a very difficult time. And then it just gets more difficult from there. Right. As we you know, as we've been talking about. And so. If he doesn't win or, like, come within single digits of Donald Trump and really truly change the momentum of the race going into the subsequent states, I would expect even a candidacy as strong as his, I would expect um, for that campaign to be short-lived thereafter. 
Now, what did happen to Ron DeSantis? And I get that the epitaph or obituary is premature, but it's looking darker every day, at least from where I sit. What happened? I think... Uh, if you agree with the premise, I mean, maybe you don't agree with yeah, my yeah. premise. No, no, I do. I do. And, and look, I, it's always uh, difficult to say, okay, is this, or to be able to trust, is this commentary actually coming from a sign to the DeSantis camp, or is this people giving their opinion about the DeSantis camp? But... My assessment is, he's a great candidate, he's a great guy, he has a tremendous future, but the party was not ready, and you and I have done a lot of commentary and thought about this, the party was not ready for an alternative, the majority of Republicans were not ready for an alternative whose name was not Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Donald Trump is winning some of these states. Again, we'll see where the actual wins end up. Currently in the polling He's winning these states on, on the low end in the 40s in the polls, and on the high end, some of them 50s and 60s. So very clearly, the majority of Republicans were not ready for it. Now, look, DeSantis is, is young, and there may have been, and I think there's a lot of people that thought that maybe there was an appetite for someone who is not him, and it's clear, as in him being Donald Trump, and it's clear that does not seem to be the case. And um, additionally, he and Haley and others are all vying for that strong second, and he was not able for some of those reasons, to coalesce that very clear heir apparent. And for a moment, it was Vivek Ramaswamy, who we've gone, by the way, 10 minutes talking about the president's choice and not even Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Spend a moment there. <laughs> spend a moment there. That's not going anywhere either, is it? That's an air campaign, not a ground campaign, it seems like to me. I mean, no, of course it's not going anywhere because he peaked, but but there's no there's no sustainability there. That's what we keep seeing. There's no sustainability. The only person who sustained their support this entire time name is Donald J. Trump. That's mm-hmm. it. Everyone else's is not the case. But the comment that you know, we're getting into you know, before the break was, so let's say DeSantis steps out weeks after Iowa or a month or whatnot. His support, again, before I even said, like, where do you think it goes? Do we think it goes to Donald Trump or do we think it goes to Nikki Haley? I think unequivocally it goes to Donald Trump. I, I think the preponderance of DeSantis supporters do are too. Donald Trump voters. Yes. They're not Nikki Haley voters. Correct. Correct. That, I would, that, would be my, that would be my assessment, too. Let me throw another thought just a thinking point at you for your distillation to George. I was reading a column the other day that was kind of interesting. I think his name was Daniel McCarthy. I think he writes for, not Andrew, but Daniel, I think he writes for National Review. And he was making the point that by any real analysis, I mean, just if you're going to be honest about these things and do a serious political scientist's analysis, Ron DeSantis is the most tried and true actual conservative in the race. Just not just on paper, but in policy, not just in policy, but in practice, not just in practice and policy, but in um, behavior and and speech. Um, And he said, but the thing is, with a couple exceptions, Goldwater in 64 and Reagan in 80, we don't tend to always vote. We, uh, we just don't tend to vote for the most conservative guy in the race. Uh, it wasn't we didn't vote for the most conservative guy in 08. We didn't do it in 012. We, we, we just ne- we never do. But Reagan and Goldwater. And I thought, well, that's in and of itself interesting, except for one thing. And this is just, you know, mentally interesting to me. If you talk to to Trump supporters, as I do, as you do, it's true. His If you read him at the same level of honesty and what he says about policies and stuff, he's not more conservative than DeSantis, but his supporters think he is. That's interesting to me. 
I think I'm right. Yes. Yes, I think it's because of the question of how, and I know we're getting very existential. Yeah, no, I wanted to be existential. But, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah. But it's it's about how we are defining conservatism. That's the thing, because um, conservatism, and again, look, Donald uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis actually have a lot of similarity, yeah. much more similar, by the way, than, than DeSantis and Trump or Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. There's very clear differences between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, and the same with Chris Christie. And I'm not just talking abortion or cultural issues. I'm even talking in the response to, to Disney and business practice right. there, and I'm talking right. about in the way that right. we view markets and right. the global market right. versus that. I mean, the Ron DeSantis is is more populist than he's not. Correct. Nikki Haley is unequivocally not a populist, Correct. and neither is Chris Christie. They come from a very different era of republicanism, and so that's the that's the question is that, it depends on how you define conservatism. And then people also uh, come back to the way that Donald Trump governed for four years. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, not that on every single issue, but on the things that are the most in our face, immigration, cultural issues, what have you. Judiciary, judiciary, line, really. Right, judiciary. Yeah, yeah. He held the line in a way, you know, that that was that was no brainer. He was conservative. But then on the other hand, like, yeah, he imposed he was he was he imposed more tariffs than many other presidents, which has got him in trouble with some of those um, some of those. Uh, folks from an economic perspective, but there's a big debate on the Republican side mm-hmm. about the role of yes. the government in free markets and the role of the free market and the role of big business. You know what I mean? Like it, yes. there's there's some we're in an inflection point, right? To use another big word or buzzword, we're in an inflection point as a party, and the presidential primary actually pits Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis versus Chris Christie and Nikki Haley in terms of the future of the party. And I think it's clear if you add up the numbers for two versus the other two. It's like a three-fourths, one-fourth in terms of where support is right now. If you add up Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis throughout the states and you add up Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, I don't know Chris Christie and Nikki Haley can get much past 30 percent. Well, I don't know right? if they even get to 30, which raises an interesting point because a lot of people would have thought to say and have said that, yeah, Donald Trump's polling at 50 percent more or less, depending um, that means 50 percent of the party wants someone else. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because the minute I think you're right, DeSantis goes away. That goes to Trump. Pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. I think DeSantis support, I would say not one to one, but I'd probably say 80 percent of them. Yeah, go to Donald 80 percent. 80 percent. I got you to say 80 <laughs> percent. George Caleb, can you stay another segment or do you have to run? Let's let's do another segment. Great. George Kaloff and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. David likes to play these games with me and making me guess. Games with making you guess the yeah. people that you chose. Is this Wayne Newton? Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. Welcome back. George Kaloff is my guest. He, do you have a favorite Christmas song, George? Uh, I was going to actually make a comment, but we were in a very serious discussion. The song, and now I'm forgetting the, the name of it, the song that was prayed before the last break. I absolutely love that song. That is absolutely one of my favorite non-religious Christmas songs. Oh, okay. All um, right. All right. Yeah. All right. We play about 10 different versions of the Little Drummer Boy around here. Every All at little... Seth's request. Yeah, no, I, it's a, it's a, it's a big song. And uh, we, we, we run the gamut from Johnny Cash to... Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's a pretty good gamut. Yeah. But it tells you how important that song is, if it's covered by that it wide is, of a birth, is. right? I should think yeah. so. Yeah. We've spent a lot of time on the Republicans. Let's take a minute on the Democrats. Um, are they imploding over the Israel issue? I have not seen this much public 
disagreement on the Democratic side in a long time on any issue. You and I always they usually uh, are pretty. Yeah, they're usually lockstep on everything. Yeah, right. And and if they disagree, it's behind the scenes. Yeah. No, this is. I mean, you saw there was there was White House staff that went out and yeah. protested. Um, Kamala Harris in a very <laughs> the unique... White House is protesting the White House. I just think exactly this is the White House is protesting itself. Yes, um, Kamala Harris did it very carefully, but she kind of disagreed yeah. with 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 Joe Biden yes. on this, and and she she's making some public pushback and and some public uh, sending some public signals to the progressive wing. You've got members of Congress that are very vehemently opposed to one another. You've got members of the Arizona legislature who are at odds with one another on on this role. And so, um, look, full implosion. I don't know. I think that's a that's a big word and a in a big thing. But they are very clearly at odds with the way that they are approaching the issue of Israel and the dynamic of what's happening between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And there seems to be no end in sight in the democratic disagreement. And I think it's playing itself out in a number of different, by the way, number of different the Democratic primaries that I think the progressives are going to be on the losing end on. But we'll see how that shakes out. Well, it's an interesting question, maybe more for maybe, well, as much for the Democratic Party as it might be for the Jewish community of voters. And I wonder if you might take a stab at, you know, answering whether they're rethinking en masse, usually a, a block vote that goes about 80 to 90 percent Democrat, typically, typically. I would assume that at the national level, I think I think uh, district by district and congressman and woman by congressman and woman, I think it's going to vary. I think in general that voting block is likely not going to be as reliable. Um, but the other interesting commentary, and there's been very public comments on this, that the the Arab uh, Islamic community yeah, sure. in a lot of these states that yeah. has been a reliably Democratic voting block are saying that they may come out and they may vote for their local progressive congressman or woman to take a stand, but they are in a block opposing, for example, Joe Biden. They're like, yeah, we're not voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris at the elections today. I've That's seen a, a ton of interviews along that line, particularly out of Michigan. And what well, per- there you go. And yeah. being a swing state. Yeah. yeah. And that being a, a swing state, it matters. What per- Jewish, Jewish vote is about representative percent of the vote that's Jewish is about representative of the population that it is in this country is that same true of arab americans about two percent of the vote about here or there and then it would matter state by state then it just depends yeah Yeah, then it depends state by state right so we know the arab vote has a massive influence in michigan and the jewish vote may be more influential in um in now pockets arizona and florida some of these other places so it depends state by state but yeah in in general and nationally uh they're about the same and and you're right And, and like look the republican jewish coalition being one of them there are groups that are obviously very strong and prominent and I would assume that they're going to be gaining traction and or seeing interesting alliances amongst Jewish groups that maybe don't always al- align themselves that are very clearly on a certain side of this issue. Like, for example, APAC, I think, is going to be involved in a very big way in certain races and primaries in opposing certain Democratic members that have been very anti-Israel. But you uh, make a good point. Thing. You make a good point. If it shows, it's likely in the down ballots. It's likely in the congressional or Senate races or other races that are non-presidential, right? Because, except for the Arab vote in Michigan, which it could be determinative. So if you're thinking of the Jewish vote and where it mostly matters, it typically is in states where that vote is already kind of for granted, right? New York, yeah, California, like, New it's not going to matter much. Yeah, exactly. And Florida, the, I was yeah, say right. two states. Right. Yeah, right. Like Florida, right. New York, California, that right. vote is not likely going to affect it with how, how large the No matter state what, is, right. But yeah. it could affect Michigan, yeah, races. yeah. And, and congressional races, right, right. 
Good catching up with you, George. Thank you, sir. Always good to be on, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great weekend. Merry Christmas. I'm Seth Leibson. He was George Kaloff. We'll be right back. Chicago? Yes. Welcome back. Well, you only have 10 more days of going through this with me, right? 10 more days? Wait, we're not going to go up to New Year's? No. No. Do you want to? I mean, why not? We could. Unless you is have that, is it done? New Year's music. Is it unheard of? Like not serving cake at the end of a meal? It's unheard of? Most radio stations that play Christmas music that are music stations play it up until like the first week of January, I Do they? say. Do they? At least that's how it was when I was growing up. All right. Well, We don't have to. Well, we'll you know, see. we've already decided that you're a bah humbug about Christmas. I am not. You doing anything fun this weekend? Um, oh, yeah. What? <laughs> and oh, why you isn't your hair me. better? Why, is why it? isn't my hair better? Yes. Because I saw a Clint Eastwood movie last night. So you thought you'd look like him today? Do I not look like Clint Eastwood? No, you do not look like Clint Eastwood. What do I have to do to look like Clint Eastwood? You look like Reuben Kincaid from The Partridge Family. Oh, good Lord. What do I have to do to look like Clint I want Eastwood? people to look you up on Twitter and tell me you're not a spitting image of Reuben Kincaid from The Partridge Family. I have a hat on my Twitter profile picture. Well, somewhere they're going to have to find a picture of you. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw probably – you know how we had this thing where we think that Clint Eastwood, every single movie he's in is great? Yeah. I think I found one that wasn't, and I'm a little concerned. What? Have you ever heard of the um, – great, now I'm blanking Use your on words. the name. Use the, your words. What's it about? <laughs> Well, there Who was a mountain. Was he was climbing it. George Kennedy was in it. The um, he was a rock climber. Wow, I'm already blanking. Look how much I paid attention. It was terrible. <laughs> the Iger sanction. The Iger sanction. Yeah. Thank you very much. It yeah. was in Switzerland. It was terrible. Okay, fine. He directed it, okay. and I was really expecting great things. You know, anything that John Williams puts his name on, yeah. John Williams did the soundtrack. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good movie. You see John Williams does the score to a movie, you know it's going to be a good movie. This was not a good movie, and I'm starting to think that's the one bad one that he has. Yeah, I don't know why you won't see the movies I've told you to see. This because is they're your, not free. This is your own fault. This is your own uh, fault. Yes, but to answer your, your, your previous question, my weekend is going to be very interesting. I will probably be volunteering as part of a parade. Where? You know, here in Phoenix. It's not like in Timbuktu. What kind of parade? A parade parade. I'm going to probably uh, hold a balloon with some of my friends. For what you know? parade? It's a theme. People may want to go. Uh, well, I, I don't want them to see me. <laughs> I may be embarrassing. They, they've already seen you. It's on the Partridge family. It's radio, not television here, folks. All, right. All I can say is um, it may be televised on Channel 3 at 10 a.m. Oh, I got you. On Saturday. Okay. All and right. I will be holding a balloon. Yeah. One of those giant floating balloons. The boy in the little red balloon. No, 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 no. The, like, Macy's Parade-type balloons. Oh, okay. Yes, I'll be holding a balloon with gloved hands. Okay. And I'm doing it for free tickets, folks. Okay. Don't think I did it out of charity in my heart or anything. I was doing <laughs> some... Um, I, I, I was curious as to whether I should talk about a thing on conservatism I was fascinated by from William Buckley. But everyone's talking about something I was talking about in my monologue yesterday. Everyone's talking about um, the former editor of the New York Times editorial page, James Bennett, and this long piece he wrote from The Economist, How the New York Times Lost Its Way. 
over, you know, his resignation, forced resignation from the Tom Cotton um, op-ed that they dared to publish in 2020. And I, I was quoting from it at length yesterday, and a lot of people are picking up on it and talking about it today. But the Wall Street Journal included, and it had a section of it that I thought would be good, because you know how we often talk about the journalist's creed? Yes. From Columbia, from uh, the Missouri School of Journalism. And he writes this. This is excerpted in the Wall Street Journal today. The reporter's creed used to have its foundation in liberalism in the classic philosophical sense. The exercise of a reporter's curiosity and empathy given scope by the constitutional protections of free speech would equip readers with the best information to form their own judgments. Illiberal journalists have a different philosophy, and they have their reasons for it. They are more concerned with group rights than individual rights, which they regard as a bulwark for the privileges of white men. They have seen the principle of free speech used to protect right-wing outfits like Project Veritas and Breitbart News and are uneasy with it. They had their suspicions of their fellow citizens' judgment confirmed by Trump's election and do not believe readers can be trusted with potentially dangerous ideas or facts. They are not out to achieve social justice as the knock-on effect of pursuing truth. They want to pursue it head-on. The term objectivity to them is code for ignoring the poor and weak and cozying up to power as journalists have often done. Now, what's interesting to me about that is that he also showing his um, hand, melding his cards, says what I think every journalist does say, which is that they believe that what Trump stands for, which is really to say what Republicans stand for, are, to use James Bennett's words, dangerous. Really fascinating when you think about that and compare and contrast it to what was said by Michelle Goldberg currently and still with the New York Times using words like the Republican Party believes in, stands for, and evidences cruelty. Cruelty and danger is the default view of journalism about America. I mean, Breitbart's a problem. What's the worst thing Breitbart's ever done? What's the dangerous thing Breitbart's ever done? And quite frankly, what's the dangerous thing Donald Trump has ever done? You want to talk about dangerous society. Was it more dangerous circa 2016? Excuse me. Was it more dangerous circa 2017? to 2021 or 2021 to 2024? It's a pretty easy question to answer if you are what journalists hate, objective. Okay, you've created a conundrum with regard to that conversation about Christmas music after Christmas because there are at least two songs that I want for our regular all-year-round bumper. They're so good. That are Christmas songs? Yeah, this is one of them. I, I I object. I'm invoking the Guacamole Act of 1917 and the producer's veto power. Well, that 
applies specifically to the bush. There's a lot of red tape in the bush. Yeah, a lot of red tape. The Guacamole Act um, of 1917. That's why they couldn't do anything about the beaks on the birds with beaks, right? The blood sucking zitzis. <laughs> the, 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 the flying, yes. Yeah. The Jose Guecos, Guecos el Muertos. Dancing Flamingo Dancers of Death, if I'm not mistaken. This is from one of the great movies of all time, The In-Laws, with Alan Arkin and uh, Peter Falk. Don't watch the remake. It's not good. It's Albert Brooks, who is not a good, funny person. Why does everyone think Albert Brooks is funny? He's not. I'm sorry, he's not. Everyone thinks he's funny. He is not. He's not. Albert Brooks is not funny. Mel Brooks, yes. Albert Brooks, no. Mr. Bill... You're derogating? You disagree? Thank you. Portions of the show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. An investment with a ton of flexibility where you are in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it. You, there is no attack on principal. If you ever need your money back, there are absolutely no fees. You get a monthly statement with no surprises. And it is, a, as I say, a secure collateralized portfolio that Y-Refi offers up. And you can visit them. They're based here locally on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. I've been there a number of times. Uh, when you do go, you won't get a sales pitch. No one asks you to sign a thing. And if you don't go, you can still check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. William Buckley uh, once defined conservatism as a paradigm of essences toward which the phenomenology of the world is in continuing approximation. You like that? I do. Yeah. It's a paradigm. It is platonic in the sense that it has ideals and goals. The phenomenology of the world, which is Aristotelian, attempts to reach the ideals and goals, the paradigm, but never does. And it's in continuing approximation. That is to say, never give up. Never give up. Never give up on the right thing, no matter what the New York Times thinks or thinks of us. Thanks for spending some of your week with us. God bless you all. Truly, we'll see you Monday. I'm Seth Liebson for David Dahl, Mr. Bill, and the rest. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.